All right, as y'all are being seated, if you'll find your Bibles and open them up or turn them on, we're going to be in John chapter 14 today, John chapter 14. As you're turning there, we do want to wish Miss Sandra Reed a happy birthday today. So 21 years of age, Sandra Reed over there. So it's good to see Natalie in town as well. Did you come in to celebrate mom's birthday? Well, that was sweet of you. Good job, Natalie. Uh, so we're in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. You know, one of the most difficult things about being a parent is when your kids reach a stage where you can't rescue them. You can't really intervene. You just have to watch as they work it out. When my girls were younger, they did Taekwondo. In fact, um, uh, they're both black belts in Taekwondo, so any young men uh, better watch out. They better be careful. But uh, I remember whenever McKenna was doing, doing her Taekwondo, and she was the youngest in the class, and about halfway through, they start requiring them to spar. And so I would sit up in the bleachers and watch them. And mind you, the way this goes is you get bonus points if you kick them in the head. So it's like a, there, there's a certain amount of violence involved in this whole thing. And so she goes up against this girl who's literally twice her size. And I'm up in the stands and I'm just dad watching this. And someone said parenting is like having your heart run around outside of your body. And that's what it felt like. I mean, I just wanted to intervene, but I couldn't intervene. I just had to let her work it out because, uh, because this was part of her growing up process. By the way, she won. The other girl got disqualified, so she won, and it was great. But anyway, in our culture, one of the marks of successful parenting is that your children eventually leave. So when it comes to the American dream, uh, we think, all right, our kids need to make good grades, and if they make good grades, then they can get into a good school, and then they can graduate, they can get a good job, they can get married, they can have grandchildren, and along the way, we have this hope that somewhere they'll quit eating our Doritos, and they'll get their own health insurance, and they'll leave, and they'll kind of move on to the next level and, and uh, live, live their life. Now, in biblical days things were actually quite a bit different. Do you realize that life expectancy back then was only about 40 years? People often died very young in life, and usually a person didn't travel more than maybe 100 miles from their home. And if you traveled that far, that was a big deal. It wasn't a, a commute to work to go uh, 100 miles. And so people pretty well stayed in the geographical area where they were born. And families for generations, particularly uh, if, if you had parents or grandparents that made it past those uh, early years, uh, you, you, you took care of each other. You lived close to one another. And so you would have family businesses. They didn't have career day where everybody chose their major or chose their career path. Normally, your, your vocation was whatever your parents did. And you still see this to, degree, to a degree in some of our names. For example, my wife's maiden name was Baker. So guess what? In her family line, there were some Bakers. 
And she's an amazing baker as well. It's just in her blood. I don't know. Uh, Paul Reed's family name. I was looking this up. And so Paul Reed's family name has to do with ancestors that had red hair and violent tempers. So, <laughs> so somewhere in the history of Paul Reed's family line, there was a mutation and uh, because he doesn't have red hair and he's one of the kindest, most gentle men you'll ever, you'll ever meet. But the disciples had done something. Here's my point, all right? So stick with me. The disciples had done something that, that in that day and time was unheard of. They had followed Jesus, and in doing so, they had left their, their towns. They had left their families. They had left their businesses. They had gone all in to follow Jesus. And thus far, he was putting on a rather impressive demonstration of his power. And we've looked at some of these stories over the last few weeks. You remember back in uh, John chapter 2, his initial miracle where he turned the water into wine. Uh, and then he, he heals the blind. He, heal, he heals the paralyzed man. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that's the kind of guy you want to hang out with, right? The guy that turns the water into wine and heals the blind and heals the paralytic. I mean, who doesn't want to hang out with that guy? And then he's also doing things like walking on the water, feeding 5,000 people, controlling nature with his voice. And these disciples, they were living with Jesus day and night. They had a front row seat to greatness. And that's when Jesus gives them a panic attack. That's when Jesus changes the entire narrative on them. So just before the passage that we get to today, Jesus has told them, hey, I'm about to become a casualty in the cause. I'm about to be crucified. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'll be betrayed. I'll die, but I will rise again. I'm about to leave you. And he tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. And so the disciples are processing all of this, trying to figure out exactly what Jesus is trying to say to them. And then in John chapter 14 and verse 1, look with me there in your Bibles. Jesus says to them, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. So Jesus calls the disciples together, and he's like, all right, men, it's Vision Sunday. I want to give you the future plans for our group. And I can imagine the disciples there saying, okay, Jesus, what's next? You just got through raising a guy from the dead. How are you going to top that? How are you going to top that? What's next? And Jesus says, here's what's next. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. So I'm going to prove that I am the Son of God by taking on death, overcoming death through my power, and extending eternal life to all who believe. But then he says, now, i got something else for you. I'm out of here. I'm leaving you. It's your turn now. I'm, uh, I'm going home. He tells them in verse 4, Now, you know the way where I'm going. 
you know where I'm going. And then in verse 5, look what happens. A hand comes up. Lord, and it's Thomas. And Thomas goes, we don't know the way where you're going. Uh, How can we know the way? I love Thomas. He's so honest. He's honest. They ought to call him Honest Thomas. But instead, what do we call him all the time? Doubting Thomas. And Thomas is like, earlier in the chapter, or the chapter before, he's like, Jesus is saying, we're going to Jerusalem. And Thomas is like, all right, Jesus, let's go. If they kill you, I'm going to die with you. Now Jesus is like, I'm headed somewhere else, guys, but you guys know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, uh, no, Jesus, we really have no clue. Uh, we really don't know here. And, and, you know, you're always talking in parables. Could you be a little bit more specific? Uh, maybe give me an address. Hey, I got this new thing they call like an a iPhone. Can, can you give me an address and I'll type it into uh, Palestine Maps and, and it, be, at least give me a few landmarks, maybe turn left at Peter's Bait Shop or something like that. I mean, he, he wanted more specifics from Jesus about where he was going and how, how he could go there too because wherever Jesus wanted to go, that's where he wanted to be. Now, I think Thomas would have fit in well in the North Dallas area. You see, one of the things about our area is people here are very, very analytical. A lot of you guys are engineers, uh, you're teachers, you're in the medical profession, and so uh, there's just a lot of analytics that are like, that's hovering in the room right now. I've I've sometimes joked about all the engineers and and such that we have in the area that that I need to give the sermon and uh, let you process it for the week, and then give the invitation after you've processed it for a week. But, but uh, so Thomas is a very analytical kind of guy, and your your uh, performance is your currency with him. You remember? Fast forward a little bit in your mind. What does Thomas do after the resurrection of Jesus? What does he want? Proof. You got it, Dusty. Everybody say, "Good job, Dusty." He's like, no, you don't have to do that. Anyway, good job, Dusty. No one will ever talk to me again now. How about that? But he wanted proof that Jesus was not a ghost. Now, Thomas would wind up being one of the great leaders of the early church. Thomas would uh, take the gospel to India. He, he built the original solid rock church, so to speak, in India. I mean, he pioneered the gospel going east. But 2,000 years later, If you go to the souvenir shop and buy the Thomas jersey, on the back of it, it's still going to say Doubting Thomas on the top. Man, that's rough, isn't it? 2,000 years later, and you still can't get away from your nickname that you're Doubting Thomas. I mean, Thomas speaks up and he says, Jesus, if you're leaving, we need to know where you're going because... It's really important that we know what's next. Anybody relate to that? You'd really like it if Jesus would just give you a map and let you know what's next. All right, well, look at verse 6 in your Bibles. This is a uh, popular passage of Scripture. It's one that many of us have heard before. But I want you to try to understand it in the context of this conversation with Thomas. Because Jesus looks at him and says, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen me. So catch this now. Jesus says to Thomas, There is a place that I'm going. And where I am going is a place called home. And it's a place that is better than anything you can ever imagine, Thomas. And you know the way there because you know me. And I created you. I created you to live in this place. And where I'm going, Thomas, I'm going to create for you a place of rest, satisfaction, and a place called home. This, Thomas, is why your heart yearns for something that earth can't supply. This is why you struggle to sit still. This is why you struggle to be happy, even though you have everything that you could ever imagine and ever wanted. This is why when you're home, you want to be gone, and when you're gone, you want to be home. Hear me, Thomas. Stretch your thinking, Thomas. Children of God were made for the kingdom of God. And Thomas, I want you to know that I'm going home to prepare a place for you. You're never really home as a believer in Christ until you start living in His kingdom rather than yours. Children of God were created for the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells Thomas, let me tell you what's next. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, I'm what's next. I'm your destination. Jesus isn't a vehicle that we ride to our preferred destination. Jesus is the destination. So a realtor, realtor friend of mine posted on Facebook earlier this week, you want to know what the real estate market is like right now? Just remember how the toilet paper market was back in March. That homes are literally flying off the shelf right now. That uh, in this area, that people are putting their home on the market and uh, Beth and sell in a week, two weeks. I mean, if you're selling it in a day, right? So, so yeah. So, I mean, homes are just flying, flying off the market. And what we're reading is uh, that people are in transition right now like never before. And that's one of the things that's actually coming out of the COVID season is that people are in a highly transitional stage. And some of this is because maybe your job is transitioning. It also may be that uh, people are giving, being given the freedom to work from home, perhaps on a long-term basis. And so the necessity of living close to where you work is becoming less and less in fact, some church growth experts are telling pastors to expect that as, as much as 30% of your church may not come back after the pandemic. And so as, as I was reading this and listening to this, I was like, well, well, where does everybody go? 
And he said, well, some people may move out of the area. We've already experienced some of that, people moving out of the area. He said, some people may move to heaven, and we've experienced that with some people passing away. He said, some people may, and I don't recommend this. I'm thankful for it, but I don't recommend it. He said, some people may move to online church only. And I realize, by the way, that some people can't get out of your home and, uh, or you work on Sunday. And so I'm so thankful that we're able to do online church. But he said some people, that may be the only way that they go to church from now on. And then he said some people may move out of church altogether. Because if you quit going to church for a number of weeks, you get out of that habit. And then weeks turn into months and months turn into years. And so we find ourselves as human beings right now in a season of transition. And I think everybody in the room and everybody online can relate a little bit to the apostle who says, hey, Jesus, could you please tell me what to expect next? Anybody able to relate to Thomas? Anybody? Yeah. So let's review our passage because Jesus gives us several what's next thoughts that I think can, uh, can really help you today. So stick with me. Try not to let your mind wander, uh, but stick with me. And, and let's look at some of these thoughts. Here's the first one. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now you're human. You're not a Christian robot. You're human. And so it's natural to feel emotion. It's natural for you to sometimes feel anxious, especially when there are unknowns before you. You're a human being, and so you feel, and you need to feel. But Jesus tells his disciples, all right, take a deep breath. Calm down. Widen your perspective. It's going to be okay. In fact, right now, let's just take a deep breath. Wherever you are, whether you're in the room, uh, wherever you might be, just go ahead and, and breathe in and breathe out. Just take that deep breath. Now look at the person sitting next to you. If there's somebody sitting next to you, go ahead and just look at them. And uh, if you're online, you can do this online. And just say, relax, dude, or dudette, whichever, whichever they are. Just, just, just relax. Okay, and if they're asleep, go ahead and wake them up right now. This would be a good time to go ahead and do that. You say, Lash, how, how am I supposed to relax? How do you know that it's going to be okay. Have you seen my to-do list? How am I supposed to just calm down and, and take a deep breath? Because Jesus says, believe in me, I've got you. It's going to be okay. Everything that you're experiencing right now is temporary, but there is something eternal. And so that's the second thought that you see in the passage. And that is that if you are a believer in Christ, Heaven is in your future. Now download that. Take it out of the cloud 
and download it into your mind. Heaven is not just the pretend and they all lived happily ever after ending to the Bible. Heaven is a real place. And if you're a believer in Christ, heaven's your real home. It's where you ultimately belong. The poet Robert Frost once said, home is the place that when you arrive there, they have to take you in. (laughs) I like it. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your future in heaven is secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you get this? Your future in heaven is not secured by your performance, by your ability, by your loveliness. Your future in heaven is secured by the power of Jesus Christ. The same guy that rose from the dead, he's the one that secures your place in heaven. There is a slogan, a a saying that I just love, and that is safe in his hands. When you are in the hands of Jesus, nothing is going to steal you. Nothing is going to take you from the grasp of Jesus. You are safe in his hands. And Jesus reminds his disciples here, heaven is a real place. It's not just a cloud. It's real. So let me ask you this question. Who is somebody that you miss today? Because they've already gone to heaven. Who's somebody in your life that has passed away? If you're online, you might even want to share somebody's name that you miss. In this room, many of us miss our mom or dad, maybe a sibling, a spouse, a good friend, somebody that you loved who's passed away. Grief is real. And when you're going through a season of grief, you need to let yourself feel. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. But we also should remember that because of the hope and the reality of heaven, we can see our loved ones again. Heaven is a real place. And there's a lot of people that I look forward to seeing again one day. How about you? I can't wait. And I don't think we're going to have to do elbow bumps. I think we can give big hugs when we see each other again in heaven. A third truth. And that is that Jesus will come again. Does he not say that in the passage? I'm going to come again? So, right now, there's a lot of speculation about the end of the world right now, right? Anybody heard any of this speculation? Yeah, there's a lot of speculation about that right now. Uh, Are we living in the last days? Is this the end of the world? Uh, uh, Are we in the last few weeks or months? Uh, Pastor, can you give me any answers? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, Jesus will work that out. I will tell you this. How and when Jesus comes again 
is not nearly as important as why he's coming again? Did you catch that? Jesus tells us he's coming again for you in order to take you unto himself so that, are are you with me here? Where he is, you can be also. You see, the first time Jesus came into the world, he died so that your soul might be free from the power of sin. But the second time that Jesus comes into the world, he's going to come to free you from the presence of sin. When Jesus comes again, he will make all things new so that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All things joining together in the choir of worship to proclaim the glory of God. And Jesus tells his disciples, listen, when I come again, I'm not coming as the innocent baby of Bethlehem. When I come again, I'm coming again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm coming for you so that you can be with me, not just for a season, a hundred-year window of life, but that so you can be with me forever and ever. Now, there's a fourth truth in the passage, and that is that when it comes to what's next, Jesus is the plan. Thomas was like, hey, Jesus, give me the plan. Jesus was like, how about I just give you me? How about I just give you me? Thomas, you need to realize this. I'm the way. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder, Thomas. I'm it. I'm the way. Put your faith in me, Thomas. I'm your path. And then he says, I'm the truth. You see, in a world of uncertainty, where everything seems like it can be changing, Jesus says, I'm certain. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Who he is and the truth that is in him, it does not change with human opinion or for political favor. It does not fade. Jesus says, I am the truth. In me, there is certainty. And then he says, I'm the life. So three things he says to Thomas, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Now, it's ironic in the story of Jesus. Have you ever noticed this? Everyone around Jesus was trying to get him to use his life in order to make them more comfortable and more powerful. A lot of the people that were around Jesus were trying to use Jesus to make a better life for themselves. And yet Jesus, the one who is all-powerful, willingly gave his life, giving up every ounce of comfort so that we might have eternal life. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And here's my fifth thought. Jesus calls us to the life more abundant. Jesus calls us to the life more abundant. Now please grasp this, okay? 
The life more abundant is not a cute little umbrella for your poolside drink. Although I have nothing against cute little umbrellas. It's not a bigger show on Sunday. The life more abundant is also not a return to 2019. It's not about just, hey, let's go back to yesterday. The life more abundant is home. The life more abundant is living life in the center of God's will for His glory so that through your life, His kingdom might advance. One day the life more abundant will be in heaven. But right now, for you and for me, the life more abundant is to be lived here on earth. So Jesus says, instead of perpetual dissatisfaction, I want you to know, my disciples, that I am the bread of life. Instead of darkness and isolation, I want my disciples to know that I am the light who shines into that darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Instead of danger and destruction, Jesus says, I want you to know that I am the door. Jesus says, I want you to know that I am the good shepherd. And if you will follow me, if you will believe in me, if you will trust in me, even though sometimes your life may go through the valley, ultimately you will lack nothing. I will bring you the comfort of the green pastures, and I will bring you the refreshment of the quiet waters. I will bring renewal to your heartbreak when you're rejected, when you're betrayed, when you feel all alone. Jesus says, I will bring to your desperation, to your darkness, to your tears. I will bring renewal to you. The season will change. I will bring meaning to your path. And whenever your heart grieves and you find yourself in those dark moments of life, Jesus says, I will protect you. I will walk with you. And I will keep you from those who wish you harm. In fact, I'm going to take you so far, my friend, my disciple. Jesus says he's going to prepare for us a table of blessing. And he's going to say to us, come and sit at my table because there is a place for you at the table of the Lord. You say, Lash, you don't know my past. You don't know my thoughts. You don't know my heart. Well, you don't know my Savior. My Savior says there is a place for you. And when you know him, you are, you are safe in his hands and welcomed at the table. And he says, sit here and enjoy. Sit here and be with me. When your cup empties, I will fill it again. And as you sit here at the table, even though your enemies surround around you on every side, even though there are people who are threatening your well-being, even though there are dangers ahead, there are things that cause you anxiety, there are uncertainties ahead, Jesus says, sit at my table, I will protect you even in the darkest days, and know this, that the good shepherd will pursue you with goodness and mercy. Just imagine this for a second. You're running through life. You're busy. And right on your heels is the goodness and mercy of the Good Shepherd. He's pursuing you. And He's calling you to follow Him. And He says to us, 
when this life reaches the end of the path, you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are safe and secure in my love. And we stand in grace. So he says to Thomas, I know you want me to explain everything to you. I know you would like a map and detailed directions, maybe even a to-do list. But here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you Jesus. And he's the way, the truth, and the life. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. And believe also in Christ. Love you guys. Love you guys. But beyond that, you are eternally loved by your Savior. Don't forget that today. Can we pray? If you just bow your heads right wherever you are. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that in a world of uncertainty that there is truth. I thank you that in a world that says there really is no definition, no way, that you have shown us the way. And I thank you that in a world of temporary realities, that there is eternal life in you. I pray today for that individual that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day where they surrender to you and trust in you as Savior and Lord. And I also lift up the person that hit play today, the person that walked up today, maybe sits in this room, that walked in with a heart filled with anxiety, with a troubled heart. I pray that you might bring calm to the storm, confidence, courage, and a humble faith that trusts in you. And I thank you, Lord, for the security of your love and the reality of heaven. Help us, Lord, to take a deep breath and to find our footing and to find our hope in you. Thank you for reminding us today of those things which are real. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.